Buenos dias and hello. And welcome to a what? Go ahead. Do I need to start over? Yeah. Buenos dias, and hello, and welcome to a rare morning record of Chronically Narnia. Barely. A barely morning. <laughs> it's 11.30. Uh, the podcast where we go through uh, the entirety of the Chronicles of Narnia book series, reading them chapter by chapter, reviewing them and analyzing them, and, you know, bashing C.S. Lewis, as some of our listeners have said. Um, but we try Just not one. to. We try not to. One. We try not to do that too much. Uh, right now we are reading The Horse and His Boy. Today we're talking about Chapter 4, uh, Shasta Falls In with the Narnians. <gasps> Who are the Narnians? We don't know. We'll find out in this chapter. Hint, you probably know already. Um, and, uh, anyway, let's go ahead and get started. Let's introduce ourselves. Uh, I am your, your first co-host, uh, Paradin, also known as Chris. And I'm Swallowpad. A raven, <laughs> also known as Kristen. Was his name Swallowpad? Yep. Okay. That's what the dwarf referred to him as. Swallowpad. Yep. Cool. How are you, He's Kristen? He's a raven. Uh-huh. Oh, wait. Maybe it's <laughs> Swallowpad? Maybe yeah. it's not yeah. a W? I, I was like, I didn't think there was a W in that. Hang on. Let me double check. No, it's Sallow, Swallowpad. Would you like to redo that? I'm Swallowpad, a raven. <laughs> Okay. Also known as Kristen. I'm your cousin, Swallow Pad. <laughs> A swallow. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, also known as Chris. Anyway, welcome, welcome aboard the podcast. I know you. We, when we start this, we have we to don't like... say welcome aboard until we're doing the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Okay. We should, We've already covered we'll... this, have we? Yeah. Okay, we'll change it then. Welcome to the stable. <laughs> this is a horse and his boy. Well, you don't get aboard a horse. You don't get aboard a horse. I, I don't know anything a about horse horses. A horse can get aboard a train or a boat, but you don't get aboard a horse. You uh, mount up. I, I mount know. up, folks. Welcome to the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I obviously know nothing about horses. I'd be that guard in this chapter that you know can't tell a war horse from a saddle horse. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> you would be Shasta's best chance of getting through the gates. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there's, uh, this is a chapter. Is it really? There's some stuff to talk about, and we should jump into that. So uh, the first thing we do when yeah. we're jumping in is to, um, as we're reading, we pluck out five sentences each um, and, create, and create a summary of the chapter. Uh, this is hashtag Narnia chopped. Um, <laughs> and so we kind of write a five-sentence summary. With the, sen- with the sentences that come out of the chapter itself. So I'll go ahead and go first. Yes, because uh. I have a rant after mine, so you go ahead and go first. <laughs> okay. It was much more crowded than Shasta had expected. Crowded partly by the peasants on their way to market who had come in with them, but also with water sellers, sweetmeat sellers, porters, soldiers, beggars, ragged children, hens, stray dogs, and barefooted slaves. Way for the Narnian lords! The leader of the fair-haired men suddenly pointed at Shasta, cried out, There he is! There's our runaway! And seized him by the shoulder. 
Then, of course, everyone stopped scolding Shasta and asking him questions, and he was made much and he was made much of and laid on a sofa, and cushions were put under his head, and he was given ice sherbet in a golden cup to drink and told to keep very quiet. He was still wondering what had happened to the others and how on earth he was going to escape and meet them at the tombs and what would happen when the real Corin turned up again. Okay, yeah, you went through for a, a different feel than I did. I struggled a little bit with this one, and I'll tell you why in my rant after I go through it. But here is my summary. And when at last the sun rose out of the sea and the great silver-plated dome of the temple flashed back its light, he was almost dazzled. Inside the gates, Tashban did not at first seem so splendid as it had looked from a distance. There were half a dozen men, and Shasta had never seen anyone like them before. The leader of the fair-headed men suddenly pointed at Shasta, cried out, There he is, there's our runaway, and seized him by the shoulder. And so before they were halfway through Tashban, all their plans were ruined, and without even a chance to say goodbye to the others, Shasta found himself being marched off among strangers and quite unable to guess what might be going to happen next. Uh, so here's my here's my issue. There's a whole lot that happens that there in is, this chapter. There is, and none of it matters except matters. for like two paragraphs. Yes. My entire summary, I feel like, tells most of the story and the action that happens in this chapter. And after after my last sentence and my summary, there are six pages of this chapter left. <laughs> And I tried really hard to include something from that, but it was difficult because, like, what I wanted to include was I wanted to have uh, Shasta's introduction to the city. I wanted to have him meeting the Narnians. I wanted to have him taken by the Narnians. And that that's kind of the story of the chapter. Like, he's taken by the Narnians. We don't know what's happening to him yet. And then there's all this other plot line that happens, like, that we'll get into later. But by the time I established what I wanted to establish, I had maybe, maybe if I tried two lines to work with, but realistically, like, one more line, and I could not find a single line in those six pages that was like, this tells, you know, us what's happening here. You did a good job of that. Like, I just, with your with your flow, I just could not find it. Um, it was a rough one, because, I mean, just in a structural way, this chapter goes... Sucks. <laughs> but yes, go ahead. <laughs> this chapter goes... They try to get to the city, they get into the city, they explore a little bit as they're trying to get through the city, they experience some hurdles, and then suddenly one of those hurdles is Narnians who think that Shasta is someone he's not, take him away, and then he meets some of the other Narnians, or observes some of the other Narnians, talking creatures, fawns, etc., dwarves, fawns, and a raven, and then... (laughs) We have this plot developing with Edmund and Susan, and Spoilers. there's some kind of King Edmund and Queen Susan. There's some kind of intrigue about to be introduced, mm-hmm. but it's very cliffhangery. So, like, that's the entire chapter. Mm-hmm. I did that thing you hate, where I summed up the entire chapter. Well, that's what the point of the sentence is. So then we. But it also <laughs> just like that's everything that happens. But it's a long chapter with a lot of stuff going on. Uh-huh. Cool. Um, 
so yeah, let's 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 get more into detail here because there's a lot of things that I want to touch on. So we get introduced to Tashban in my book, uh, and we can post this. There is an illustration of the city, which I thought was actually pretty cool and well done. We did confirm, uh, based on the description of the city, though, that we that were island. correct, yes. as we had discussed last week. Yeah. It, it as it is drawn on the map, it is in fact um, a city in the middle of a, on an island in the middle of the river with two crossings. Which is why they have to go through it in the first place, and that's like plot reasoning. And now that same exact drawing mm-hmm. is also my chapter introduction drawing. Yeah. So yes, and it is a really cool looking city. It's very terraced. Mm-hmm. Everything is just building up to this peak dome right in the middle. Which yeah. is drawn with minarets, very much in a traditional like Middle Eastern, um, yeah. style. Yeah, like a you have the same illustration in yours. Yep. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, like there, it's like a middle Middle Eastern version of like Minas Tirith or like yeah, like a little a big, bit high tiered city. Um, so we introduce uh, this city, and like I feel like Lewis almost does some good writing here because there's a Ooh. really <laughs> There's a really great contrast, and I think uh, there's some good metaphor worked in here about how the city looks from a distance versus the descriptions of the city from within it. Oh, yeah. So I and, had almost used the sentence you did, inside the gates, Toshbon did not at first seem so splendid as it had looked from a distance. That was going to be my first sentence. Uh-huh. But I also had, uh, for a, another possible first sentence, was... At the far end of the bridge, the walls of the city towered high above them, and the brazen gate stood open in the gateway, which was really wide, but looked narrow because it was so very high. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like those two sentences together really communicated this imposing, just grandeur of Toshbon. And then as soon as you get inside that gate, which is actually really wide, but looks narrow from the outside because of the wall, mm-hmm. inside the gates, Toshbon did not at first seem so splendid as it had looked from a distance. So, yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there that I had been trying to work that into my summary to begin with as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's a it's a good comparison and contrast. I think he, it's... He's trying to say something here about uh, the maybe the culture or maybe this place, which is going to get completely ruined, and we're going to talk about later. Um, well, but, I mean, it's also going to parallel our presentation of the Calarmine prince that's trying to win over yes. Susan. So I yeah, mean, we'll nice we can compare that and echo that later. Uh, so yeah, this is this is an interesting introduction here. Uh, we have this fun moment where you know Bree is once again like a really you know arrogant uh know-it-all horse yes uh, <laughs> telling telling uh our dear little tarkina aravis that she needs to look less proud and she's like yeah so do you and he's, he's like, like Hush. Shut up. <laughs> Hush. uh-huh and he just he just can't pull it off uh yeah and we established that very clearly by the guards yeah. Given given lip to Shasta. Uh, and Erebus has trouble going into the city this way because, you know, she, you know, is supposed to be carried on like a litter by a bunch of slaves and like mm-hmm. she's supposed to have an honor guard out in front of her and all these people are supposed to be getting out of the way. And mm-hmm. she's personally offended that she's just walking into the city like some sort of commoner. Yeah. Uh, it's so an it's interesting a... moment where her, uh, where she's uh, got some, <laughs> some privilege to work she, through She's there. got some ideas. She is really, really um, deeply offended by the fact that she 
because Shasta can see that there's something bothering her and it's like, what's wrong? And she's like, I shouldn't have to walk into the, all of these people should be, uh, and it's just like, no, like the whole point of you running away from the life that you had was because of what that life entailed involved you losing rights to being married off to an old man. Uh Like, if you didn't want that, then this is the way around that. You have to pretend to be a slave, a a child, like a a beggar. Like, you have to disguise yourself and you don't Mm -hmm. get to, you know, I mean, yes, obviously you get to mourn for the parts of your life that you're losing. But you also need to see that in light of what those privileges of being carried into the city brought with them and that was yeah having to also be married off to somebody and this is the only character development we get fair this during this entire book or not in book in this entire chapter Uh uh-huh uh because after this she basically just disappears and doesn't exist for the rest of it absolutely disappears yeah i wanted to talk about (laughs) that because both of us just skipped erevis yeah. We both skipped Bree. Well, Wynn doesn't get mentioned at we all. We both like, skipped Wynn. <laughs> like, we both completely skipped everybody except Shasta and the Narnians yeah. in our summary. Which, I mean, is the chapter title. And for once, <laughs> C.S. Lewis actually wrote a chapter about what the chapter title said it was going to be it? about. I know. It's weird. <laughs> but, yeah, no, we absolutely have all three of the other main characters just disappear in this Quinn uh, never shows as, up. Yeah, we, her name does not get mentioned anywhere in this chapter. She Even is that like, there is a second yeah. horse, I don't believe, is just, mentioned yep. either. So she just wears Quinn. Who yeah. don't know? Um. Anyway, uh, hashtag where's Quinn? Quinn is Quinn. Quinn, where is Quinn? Uh huh. Uh. Anyway. Um. Sorry, I got distracted thinking about things. Uh, so then Shasta's mouth gets him in trouble, um, and he almost screws up this entire thing, like, immediately as soon as they come into the city's gates. Because, like, there's some guards, and some guards decide, you know, because they have nothing better to do, they're gonna throw a carrot at him, I guess. They just steal Uh, a carrot from a peasant walking by and chuck it at him. Yep. Because, you know, why not? And they're like, hey, horse boy, you know, your master's gonna be real upset if he finds out you're using his saddle horse for pack work. And and Shasta could have just ignored that and kept going. He could have. Like he he he, he except that he's could got have. some pride. He's got some pride, and and then he's just like, "It's my master's orders, so there," which almost like screws up their entire plan like immediately because that makes the guards take more notice of them, and it was a stupid move. Uh, and for that, he he does get punched in the head, and you know, with from a very angry like jerkish guard which apparently doesn't leave a visible mark apparently (laughs) i mean he's used to getting hit so he's used to taking hard knocks is Uh what it says i'll teach you to talk to free men uh but apparently the slave thing is is you know it's working out like the the disguise is working so far well i mean it's not a disguise (laughs) for shasta as we've established Uh like it's it's not uh, and then we describe we're in Tashbon, and we describe kind of the streets and the uh, you know the sights and the smells and like it's crowded and it smells bad and it's the the lower tiers of the city are not like a decent place to be. Yeah, I mean as they go up into the higher tiers, yeah. things get prettier mm-hmm. and more manicured, and there's more trees and yes. Yeah. Uh, 
And so anyway, but tell we, us about the traffic laws in Toshban, Chris. I'm <laughs> really curious. So uh, in Toshban, there's only one traffic regulation, which is that everyone who is less important has to get out of the way for everyone who is more important. And this happens a few times throughout the chapter where there are, you know, the make way for the Tarkhan or the for the Tarkina. Like there's these criers that go out in front or of the ambassador. People. Yeah, who like you know everybody who's in the street just has to get out of the way. And that seems like just a terrible way to do business. And how does anybody get anything done in this city? I like mean, sixteen times a day, you're just. That's why. That's why the actual businesses ha- are happening in the lower levels of the city, <laughs> so that they yeah. don't get visited by these ambassadors and things. Yeah. And like everybody has to stop what they're doing, and get out of the way. Uh, it's like that one time we went to the restaurant and we heard the birthday song like twelve times while we were there for yep. forty five minutes. Oh yeah, uh, that was an ice cream parlor though. <laughs> two two. To at least justify people going to this place for ice for for a birthday. Yep, they're they're closed down now. So oh well. Oh well. Uh, so, but anyway, it's like it's like that where it's like this has to get old for the people living there. Like yeah. you know, go anywhere in like ten times, you're gonna have to stop and get crowded into a bunch of smelly people to get out of the way for somebody who you don't care about moving through the street. Yeah, but this like is basically any and all. Um, cultures in history that had any kind of lordship or you know Uh like (laughs) to to a degree it even happens now if there's a celebrity or a political figure walking down the street where Mm -hmm. like you know security is gonna push you out of the way Uh like this this will even happen today Mm -hmm. i'd like to see him try uh anyway (laughs) so this happened several times and then this happens uh you know, we, we see this scene of people getting out of the way, and then it happens kind of a different way, where we have a crier coming, and I love this line. Uh, he says, way, way, way came the voice. Way for the white barbarian king. Yep. <laughs> the guest of the Tisrock, may he live forever. Way for the Narnian lords. I wanted to talk about this. I absolutely <laughs> wanted to talk about way for the white, white bar- bar- barbarian king. Uh-huh. Um, so when, once we've met this crew of people, we can, we can establish that this is him calling way for Peter, King Peter. Yeah. Um, because King Peter and King Edmund are the two, um, kings of, of the North or of Narnia that are in this group. Yes. So let's pause here because this is the first time we mentioned it. Let's talk about the makeup of this group. Okay. This is fascinating to me. So. The crier is the only Calermine. Yes. And we have half a dozen white men. Uh-huh. So we have Peter and Edmund. So and we they're have all fair haired. Yes. And then we have four other people. Now, one of them it gets named, which is uh the name that I chose for myself in the beginning, Paradin. We don't really know uh who he is in this chapter. I did some research, we'll get into that later. But we have the two kings, we have Paradin, and then we have three other dudes. Who are they? Well We don't know. I mean they're probably from um Arkenland? Yeah. Yeah. We never find out. In fact, uh, part of the research I did is Paradin, uh, he is the only by name mentioned human in the golden name in the golden age of uh, of Narnia who is actually from Narnia or this world whatsoever. Interesting. We, so he is described as a Narnian yeah, lord. Yes. We we have the Pevensies who are not from they're from Earth. The only actual native born narnian person who is named is that's human yes interesting (laughs) and then they're 
there are some we, other... We have some others during the dark. That are described as Narnian lords yeah. by the crier. Yeah. That are apparently human. Yeah. Possibly from Arkenland, whatever. We'll get into a bit that with I that I mean, later. it's also possible that, the, that some of these people are dwarves that Shasta's just not noticed. Like, but I, yeah, no, it's interesting because... It seems like these would be Arkenlanders or something like that, based on our understanding of the makeup of Narnia. Yes. But yeah, no, that's that is an interesting thing to consider because, um, what you just said is not um uh, like during during the reign of the Pevensies, yes, but there will later be more Narnian humans uh-huh. in other books, specifically um in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there are more Narnian-born humans, but. We, we get those, at, you know, in the Dark Ages or whatever happens after the Golden Age where, you know, the Pevensey kids have left Narnia at the end of yeah no the last book. That, I said that already. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then we describe the grand sight of these Narnian lords walking through the city. And there's this huge contrast where, you know, the Narnians aren't being carried like everybody else. They're walking on, on their own. And they're not dressed in these drab, you know, colors that cover their whole bodies and turbans. They're, they're wearing these bright tunics. Go ahead. You could see that they were ready to be friends with anyone who was friendly and didn't give a fig for anyone who wasn't. Uh-huh. Shasta thought he had never seen anything so lovely in his life. Uh-huh. People who look like me, they're white and they're friendly. Yeah. And they have... Swords that They're are long straight. and straight and not curved like Calamine scimitars. And instead of being grave and mysterious in the way they walked, they walked with a swing <laughs> and let their arms and shoulders go free. They're chatting and laughing and being happy. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so this whole... Shasta had never seen anyone like them before. Mm-hmm. They were all as fair-skinned as himself, and most of them had fair hair. Mm-hmm. So yes, absolutely. I have I have this entire chapter. Like this is where my bookmark was because I wanted to, this entire paragraph, not chapter. Yeah. So we picked a, a not great picture of the Calarmine peoples here, um, as previously uh-huh. established. But yes, we absolutely are are laying uh, on the pre existing foundation of the Calarmine being cruel people. But now we've also established that they're mysterious, like they carry themselves in mysterious ways and they're very drab and they don't, you know, seem friendly and things like that. So absolutely, mm-hmm. it's this huge contrast to be like, oh yeah, no, the Narnian lords, they, they don't, you know, mm-hmm. they don't be mean. Yeah. <laughs> and then the first interaction we have with one of them is Peter coming up and slapping <laughs> Shasta across the face. Yeah. Uh, so... Not- not in a painful no, not way, a painful way, but in a in a disgraced way. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's totally acceptable. Absolutely. Like if I came it's in the second sh- 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 second smack in the face that Shasta's taken in, in this like this hour. Yeah. So, well, I mean, if you count the carrot <sighs> yeah. hitting him in the face, it's the third one. Yeah, he's not having a good time. <laughs> His uh, poor face. No wonder he doesn't look like himself. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, this this whole thing happens where he gets taken in by the Narnians immediately. Uh, mistaken identity. A mistaken identity. And they are all assuming, they are all absolutely convinced that this is some missing prince. Who was with them. So this is some prince of Arkenland that they brought with them. Yes. 
from on their journey through Arkenland from Narnia. They yes. brought this prince. So they're charged with the care of like a 12-year-old boy, max 16-year-old boy, uh-huh. who has run away and spent the entire night away from them in the city. And they they traveled from Arkenland to here. Yeah. And they cannot tell the physical difference between this slave boy, Shasta, yeah. and this prince, Corin. Yeah. They just assume that it's Corin because he's white, and they don't actually, like, take into account that this that there might be another white person in Toshban who isn't Corin. They don't even ask him if he's Corin. They're just like, there's our runaway. Drag him along. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, my reading through this chapter, and I... Like, I'll reiterate the point. I've never read this book before. I don't know where it's going. My first thought at the end of the chapter was, okay, so, you know, this Prince Corrin is, like, maybe a long-lost brother, maybe even a twin brother to Shasta, and they got separated at birth, and Shasta goes and, you know, ends up on the shores of this distant land. With his dead father. Yeah, and Shasta is, you know, we're going to find out he's actually royalty, and, like, that's why they can mistake him, because, like... (gasps) Yeah. What a plot. Yeah, what a Someone plot. Someone should write that book. They're actually twins or something. I don't know if that's what actually happens. That's just what I'm assuming mm-hmm. based on uh, how everybody, all these adults are completely convinced it's the same kid when they should know what he looks like. Um, also, no one comments on the fact that he smells like he's been riding a horse for three weeks. <laughs> nope. It's just what happens when you spend the night in uh, Toshban. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> One night in Toshban. Uh so, yeah, we have who we find out is Peter, and then this is, like, grabs him, attacks him, sort of. Uh, he, he, um, <laughs> gosh, there's a word for this. Kidnap? No, um, he, he chastises Chastises him, him yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then Shasta's just too afraid to say anything. And he's just like, uh, there's there's nothing here I can say that's going to help. So he, he looks around, he looks at Bree for help. Bree's just like, nope, I'm out. Peace, because he and Bree got separated when the, the Narnian delegation came through. Yeah, he lost hold of the lead. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he looks at Bree. Bree's just like, nope, not going to draw attention to myself. I'm going to get through this. Good luck, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Which... I... <laughs> I mean, it really doesn't make a ton of sense for Bree not to say something in front of Narnians. Yeah, but I mean, that would that would draw the attention of the entire city, and that would probably, you know, I I understand Bree's perspective. At the same time, you know, Bree also needs this kid, and yeah, I mean, the Narnian delegation yeah. brought a fawn and dwarves with yeah. them, though. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like. High Calarmine society doesn't know that creatures that can talk exist because yeah. there's a talking raven with the group. Yeah, and it, and and I assume he's yeah he's talking. Yeah. there's a talking raven in the group. And at this point, like we all we have not separated from Erebus and Hwen. Still, Hwen doesn't get mentioned, but it mentions that he. Well, we don't know that he's separated. He just says that he wouldn't look to Erebus regardless. Like. And it almost, to me, the way I read it was that he was separated from Erebus, but even if he wasn't, he still wouldn't draw attention to her. the line specifically says, as for Erebus, Shasta did not even dare to look at her for fear of drawing attention. Yeah. So I read that as her being in the crowd. Oh, I read it as her being far enough away that it didn't matter. And, and like, we don't have any of her perspective uh, on any of these events. She's just kind of gone. 
I'm astounded. <laughs> it's really weird for C.S. Lewis to not include the woman's perspective. And then what? And and then Shasta falls in with the Narnians, and we go off to the palace. Uh, he finds himself marched off uh, with the Narnian king, and uh, yeah, we're do 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 do. So what we think we think this is uh, some kid named Corin, which we'll find out in a minute. Uh, who is the son of the king of Arkenland. Yes. Uh, and I was doing a bit of... There's a word for that. Prince. A what? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Prince <laughs> of Arkenland. Um, so I was doing a, a bit of looking into this, and here's what we think we know. All right. Based on the lore of the Narnia universe, is that we talked a little bit about the lineage of King Frank and Queen Helen in the last book. Mm-hmm. And which so, we have also like, um, I always assumed that we were talking about like mere hundreds of years between King Frank and Queen Helen and then the Pevensies arriving. Like I've always put it in terms of like hundreds of years, but a lot of like the feedback and comments and stuff have said, you know, maybe, maybe it was more of thousands of years. Cause we also have to consider the fact that from the Pevensies going the first time to when, spoiler, for the next book, when they go back uh-huh. um, in Prince Caspian, then their one year of difference or two years of difference between the books is actually like over 100 years or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, the, I don't know. I'd have to actually look at some of the timelines, but, the, you know, they're considered kings of old at that point. Yeah, the sources I found on the interwebs said that between uh, King Frank and Queen Helen being alive in the Pevensies, getting there, it was a 900-year span of time. Okay. So, so okay. So, I've I've always considered it closer to, like, a 500-year span of time to, yeah. rather than closer to 1,000. So, we're talking almost 1,000 years, and then Jadis comes in, the, you know, the tree withers, Jadis comes in, and uh, she kills, you know, the entire lineage of Frank and Helen. Like... Does she? That that is what the internet says. Is okay. that she comes in and the first thing that she does is she disposes or turns to stone or whatever. Probably kills because we don't have statues coming back to life of all these people. Uh, the entire family line. And she's just like, nope, want them all gone. What we think, and it's never explicitly stated, but I guess makes sense and is inferred that there are members who, you know, had become royalty in Arkenland that she didn't find or she wasn't able to hunt down because her thing was kind of Narnia. So there were surviving humans in Arkenland okay. that were from this lineage, and Peridin is one of those. Interesting. And he is in he is directly descended from Frank and Helen. Interesting. In some way. Okay. So that's where he comes the from. The expanded universe of Narnia <laughs> that yep. I never knew about. Um okay, so this is an interesting idea. With all of that said though, there's also been ideas that I've read about that say a lot of the um, human-like creatures in Narnia are also descendants of King um, and Queen Frank and Helen. Um, Whoa. Like the fawns and mm-hmm. and um, dwarves and creatures like that. Is that something that you came across in any of your research? Uh, not yet. Okay. So we'll, we'll get there. Um, so they, they bring him into this delegation and they bring him to the palace and he encounters a lot of queer people. I don't think it's necessarily a palace so much as just like a, a guest wing or something like that. Yeah. Like 
whatever whatever enormous like super fancy building they're in and he sees a lot of strange things and then this most beautiful woman that he's that ever Shasta has ever seen. seen in his life it's his first white woman <laughs> and and i was just like oh give me a second jadis is back but no nope. <laughs> But it's not no, Jadis. Uh, it is it is actually uh, Susan coming in. However, I did think there was a really interesting parallel there mm. uh, between like this moment and uh, the magician's nephew, where we have Diggory encountering Jadis and being like, "This is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen," and Shasta encountering Susan and thinking the same thing. Yeah, and I think I mean like yeah, it's an interesting parallel, but I think <laughs> we also have a difference of environment like Uh where where diggory had never seen a woman of that kind of status Mm -hmm. as jadis in the magician's nephew but in this one shasta's never seen a woman of this status nor one that is got the same fair skin as he does yeah and so it's it's the parallel there i think is the status yeah that they both see the status as beauty and then we get into some weird timeliney stuff that I want to talk about a little bit because I want to figure out what the relationship is like between Susan and Corin, who we we think this kid is because she's like, oh Corin, Corin, how could you? And now and I such close friends ever since thy mother died. And what should I have said to thy royal father if I came home without thee, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Uh, it was not playmate, very not of thee to use us so. So she refers to him as playmate. Mm-hmm. And like, in very in like a friendly sense. Yeah, where I, like, but I take it as a more maternal thing. Like, I mm-hmm. take it more as her having charge of him that mm-hmm. his father entrusted them with his safety. Yeah, and she's kind of been the one that like hung out with him. Yeah, because we don't know at, at at what point in the reign this is. I don't think it's toward the end. Like, it's probably toward the beginning of the reign because this is like. Still, oh, people are trying to marry Susan and, you know, this young fair maiden who's, you know, we're trying to make political alliances. And I think this is pretty early on and they're still relatively young at this point. I mean, they never got relatively old either. Like, Yeah, but I, th- I, I think... But we also have a reference to um, the fawn. And if you've read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, <laughs> oh God. Oh God. Uh, okay. you will have been... You will know that this fawn is the same one that Lucy Pevensey encountered mm-hmm. on her first visit to Narnia, something, something. And if you've read a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you may like to know that this was the very same fawn, Tumnus by name, whom Queen Susan's sister Lucy had met on the very first day when she found her way into Narnia. There's another way of doing that. You know, like, it's in a series of books. You could just have any of the characters called Tumnus by name. Uh And that would have been done. But anyway, (laughs) the reason I brought up Tumnus was not to complain about the way that sentence was written, but was to read the following sentence, which is, But he, Tumnus, was a good deal older now, for by this time Peter and Edmund, uh, Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy had been kings and queens of Narnia for several years. Yeah. So that specifically is spelled out as it's been several years that they've been kings and queens. Yeah, and Tumnus is in the royal court uh, still. Um, so Susan is of marrying age yeah. now because she was very much yeah. still in her early teens yeah. in the previous book if we can guesstimate yeah and this is just i don't know that that i i cringed really hard at that line and this is 
I don't know why Lewis has to do this. It's, like, it's just so weird and so jarring. It is. And like, you know, taking examples from other children's literature that we that we talk about, take the Harry Potter series, which everybody's familiar with. It's like, just imagine, like, reading the Goblet of Fire, and, and you know, there's a paragraph where J.K. Rowling is just like, now, and see, now, if you've read... If you've read The Chamber of Secrets... You'll know. <laughs> like, yeah. You're, you'll probably be pretty familiar with this character. Or the concept of <laughs> parcel tongue. But and for how those weird of you that would who be. haven't, parcel tongue is a language that snakes speak. Uh-huh. And it's just like this this weird, like, it's not even fourth wall breaking anymore. It's fourth wall breaking with, along with self-promotion. <laughs> it's like, if you've read this other book that I wrote... Yep. And it's super weird. Um... But anyway, there's there's not a lot we can do with that. But yeah, anyway, so Susan is of marrying age. Let's talk about her well, suitor. Before before I get there, I want to. So we have established that we think his name is Prince Corin, and I did some a little bit of research. I don't know if this goes anywhere, but Corin is a very old name. Does it come from a root that means crown? Uh, Possibly, but it's older than that. Okay. Uh, it comes from uh, the name of a Roman god, Corinus. And this is a Roman god pre-Greek influence on Roman society. Okay. So this is like very, very early Rome before like they adopted the whole Greek pantheon. Okay. Uh, and we have like... the. It's interesting because he was apparently a very important god in early Roman culture, but we know next to nothing about him. And, like, he he is written about in the same way as, like, we have Mars written about, which was, like, a huge deal in Roman society. And yet we don't even really know what he was the god of or what the, the practices of worship for him were or anything like that. Uh, the kind of the most we know is that he was, a, you know, a god that Romans probably adopted from, like, very, like, early barbarian tribes that existed around Rome. Okay. Uh, and that... He also might be uh, a deified king, sort of like Romulus. Okay, okay. And has sort of that origin story. But, I don't know. I I don't know if that really speaks to anything in the story, but it is a... It's an old name. Alright. Um, but we don't really know anything about practices surrounding him or... No. Anything about if he was a deified ruler, what his yeah. rule was like or anything. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's very much like um, he's just an an unknown. Uh huh. The shrine to the unknown god. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah. Uh, then we we find dwarves, we find Tumnus, and the lar- large raven in this party, and then we have this little subplot where we ignore the fact that you know Shasta slash Corin is here in the first place. And we're like, let's get to the matter at hand. Well, we do have... Um, <laughs> they give him sherbet. We do have <laughs> Tumnus pointing out, hey, the kid has clearly been in the sun a bit. He doesn't even know where he is. And getting everyone to leave him alone. Uh-huh. Now, we still have him in a room with, like, max six people. And still no one actually knew what Corrin looked like well enough to notice that this is not the same person. Yeah. So... This is my life. There's my... Just... There's my twin theory coming in. Okay. Um, So, yeah, go ahead and talk about... There's a subplot. There's a marriage subplot here. 
Okay, yeah, so we have, um, I mean, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a marriage subplot. We have the reason why these Narnian uh, lords and um, the kings and queens, well, we don't know if Lucy's here, but the kings and at least Susan, why they're even here. Um, and that is that Susan has received advances from one of uh, these... There, I, I mean, I don't even know what his rank or position would be, Prince, I'm assuming, because they're here at the invitation of the Tisrock, may he live forever. <laughs> um, but we have these conversations, and I, these upset me. His name is Prince Rabadash. Did you look up the name Rabadash? I did not. I. It sounded familiar as if it's a character that appears again in one of the other books. Is it a character that appears somewhere else? No. Okay, it sounded familiar. But I think we should look it up real okay. quick. All right, so I'm actually not going to share a whole lot about what I just found on my research of this because it's, like, spoiler-heavy for the rest of this book. Uh-huh. Um, however, um, the name Rabidash, besides sounding like Radagast from Lord of the Rings and Rapidash <laughs> from Pokemon... Um, <laughs> seems, according to a Wikipedia article, seems to be derived from a, a Turkish title, which is described in, in the Wikipedia article as being somewhat blasphemous, uh, <laughs> okay. namesake of the Lord or namesake of God. Um, anyway, so that's, that's the only information yeah. I can find about that name right now. And um, don't go look it up, Chris, because it'll spoil the book. Okay. Uh, spoil a bit of the book as well. Anyway, so this is Prince Rab Rabidash, who is apparently the eldest son of the Tisrock, may he live forever, yeah. and um, next in line to the Tisrock throne yeah. uh, or title. But we have um, King Edmund talking to Queen Susan and saying, Now, madam, what think you? We have been in this city fully three weeks have you yet settled in your mind whether you will marry this dark-faced lover of yours, this Prince Rabidash, or no? The lady shook her head. No, brother, she said. Not for all the jewels in Tashban. Mm -hmm. And so this is when Shasta realizes that this king and queen he's been interacting with are siblings and not married. Yeah. Um, that they're un unmarried king and queen. They're yeah. siblings. And um, this isn't the Game of Thrones universe. No, yeah. can't can't have both. We think. <laughs> um, but then we also have this kind of moment where uh, Susan starts talking about Prince Rabidash as someone that, um, oh, he was so you know when he came to Care Paravel, he was very kind. But seeing him here in Tashban, she's seen that he's clearly cruel and. Mm -hmm. Edmund says basically like from the moment he came to Care Paravel, I couldn't understand why you extended so much grace to him, Susan. And mm -hmm. it's an interesting take because like we have um, Susan the gentle being very caring and we have Edmund the just being very um, contrary to mm -hmm. that and being very um, not offended, but just, like, exasperated by Susan's grace for this person. Yeah. And then we have this moment of intrigue at the end where Susan says, we should leave today. Mm -hmm. Like, basically, nope, I've made up my mind after three weeks of being here. Now that you've finally asked me, I want to get out of Dodge. 
Yeah. And uh, that's when Edmund says, hey, uh, what's his name? Um, go watch the door. Paradin. Paradin. Yeah. Paradin, go watch the door. Make sure mm-hmm. no one's spying on us. Something's afoot. And that's it. That's the end of the chapter. I think we wanted to take a uh, talk a little bit about, uh, like we said in the beginning, the parallel between like the, the way the city is portrayed and the way this guy is portrayed. Oh, yeah. Where... From the outside, it looks grand and yeah. intimidating and in the same way as Prince Rabidash is at Caraparavel, very... Um, appealing enough for susan to come all the way here and to spend see three weeks here and, and spend three weeks here like like why didn't anyone ask her on like day two we also have the moment of like oh see him in his own environment and the raven making his little statement mm-hmm. um salopad saying see see the bear in his own den before you judge of his conditions yes and the dwarfs also have a saying <laughs> A lot of sayings in Narnia. A lot of prophecies and sayings. There, yep. there, there are people with sayings, but no poets. Uh, and yeah, then we end on this cliffhanger where Edmund's just like, "Yeah, we need to get out of the city. I don't know if we can anymore because we gonna be prisoners if you say no to this dude." I mean, he and doesn't actually kinda... say that, but it's possible. I mean, Pete basically says that. He says, uh, "Hang on." Did uh, you read the next uh, paragraph of the next chapter? Uh, nope. Because <laughs> it doesn't say anything like that in this book. In this chapter. Maybe. Okay. Yep. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the spoilers for the first paragraph of the next chapter. But, yeah, there's a plot intriguing uh, development. Uh, now, before we get to our... Re- it's so cliffhangery that you couldn't even cliffhanger it. I couldn't cliffhanger it. <laughs> um, so, before we get to our rewrites, uh, I, I had one more fun thing to, to mention. Fun uh, thing. You know, we got we to gotta make up for our, our time since we had a short episode last week. And, you know, the people are demanding us to talk longer. So, there needs to be an auditory <laughs> version of eye rolling. <laughs> it's called a sigh. There you go. Um, so I talked a little bit about uh, Tumnus uh, mm-hmm. toward the end of *Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. You know, Ooh. if you've read that book. If I mean, if you've read it. And how he is the secret power behind the throne, and he's been manipulating these events the entire time. He may have been. Uh, so what's he is doing? this supporting that so idea? what's he doing here because he's the one who's just like yeah pay no mind to the kid over here like he's obviously been in the sun he doesn't know what he's talking about he's obviously trying to divert their attention away from him so what's Tom well, maybe is... he's protecting a child so what's... if he really was Corin, <laughs> Tumnus would be protecting him from this kind of Mm-hmm. over uh assertive attention that he doesn't need right now in order to or Tumnus is the only one that knows it's not corn. Maybe. Uh-huh. And he's keeping that card close to the chest because he's like, hey, I found a kid that everybody can mistake for Corrin, and if I can get rid of Corrin, we can start a war. I just, I, I really <laughs> like you and your theories, but also, like, Tumnus is, I mean, like, I like the idea of Tumnus being a, a more involved character. I don't like the idea of him being like an evil and manipulative character. Okay, I, I just, you know, him being the secret power behind the throne. Like, I mean, which is also a fun idea. It's just I, like I he is he is the Jar Jar Binks of the. Uh, <laughs> it's just Narnia universe. No, he's not. <laughs> uh, he's not secretly the emperor. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Um, 
So why don't we go ahead and go into our next segment if you have nothing else to talk about in this chapter. So our next segment is hashtag Narnia chopped and screwed. And this is where we take sentences out of the chapter and we rewrite the chapter. Uh, or not, we retell a new story. Um, since you're doing your continuous story for this entire book. Yes. Um, and you're going to be reading a total of 10 sentences Crazy. last week's and this week's. I'll yeah. go ahead and go first yours since again, mine's is very short. Yeah, yours is again very short. Queen Susan's eyes are red with weeping because of you. There is something dreadful in your face. He doesn't know where he is. Where have you been? But then... The very last thing he wanted to do in that crowded place was to start explaining who he was and what he was doing. Ooh, okay. A little bit of intrigue there. A little yep. courtly intrigue. Yeah. Could go a lot of different ways with that. Could indeed. Okay. You've been doing like really short, punchy stories. Like, because there's I feel like lots not... of short, punchy dialogue. <laughs> like, okay. and there's lots of long sentences that are deeply ingrained in the plot of each chapter. Like. It makes summaries easy and rewrites very difficult. Yeah. Uh, so I'll go ahead and read my sentences from last week, because uh, if this is your first time listening, you should go back and listen to all the other uh, ones that I've read in this book, because I am trying to do a coherent story throughout the whole thing. So this is what we had last week. And when I learned who she was, being delighted with her beauty and discretion, I became inflamed with love, and it appeared to me that the sun would be dark to me if I did not marry her at once. How could you be getting married at your age? Shasta turned very red, though it was hardly light enough for the others to see this, and felt snubbed. Shasta thought it had been much pleasanter when he and Bree were on their own. But Bree had two reasons against this. Continuing into this week. Shasta tried to get out of the way and make Bree go back. And then someone else jostled him from the side, and in their confusion of the moment, he lost hold of Bree. But he had no time to think of that before the most beautiful lady he had ever seen rose from her place and threw her arms around him and kissed him, saying, Oh, Corin, Corin, how could you? Nothing like this had ever happened to Shasta in his life before. And Shasta said nothing in answer because he couldn't think of anything to say that would not be dangerous. Ooh. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. Uh -huh. <laughs> that sentence is it that's a good sentence he couldn't think of anything that wouldn't be dangerous that's a good one i missed uh -huh. that sentence yeah uh so there you go that's... i thought that that sentence specifically said dangerous to her nope. about erebus nope interesting okay. yeah uh so yeah that's that's where my story is going all right Just all right adding some more intrigue there uh, I, I, I kind of still have an idea of where I'm going with this, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what it turns into. Okay. Uh, so, do you want to... All right, tell, tell us what you think of the chapter, since at the end of each of these episodes you like to, uh, kind of rate and review the chapter. I do. Uh, so what is our rating system going to be this week, Kristen? Um, types of birds. Is that even a thing that's in the chapter? Uh, well, we, we, have a we crow, misidentified or a, a raven. the raven as swallow pad. <laughs> Give me another option. Um, <laughs> races of Narnians, dwarves, fawns, <laughs> ravens, horses, humans. Um, mm -hmm. 
You're usually, usually better with these. Jeez, thanks. <laughs> okay, fine. We can do types of birds. Golden here. cups of iced sherbet. Okay, there we go. That's a good one. Uh, so like I said in the very beginning when I was doing my summary, this the structure of this chapter is really annoying. Yes. Because we have the essential plot of this chapter take place in the first half, and the second half is basically plot resolution. It's not, it doesn't really add a lot more. We have conversations between characters that we don't know in this book at this point and we don't really care about. We have a plot setting up that doesn't really have anything to do with the main character of the book whatsoever. Like we have this whole marriage thing that comes up that Shasta is not involved in and has nothing to do with the plot of the book. And yeah. like, he's just observing. Yeah, he is just observing he's a conversation. He's being a classic Luke Skywalker. Yeah, he's, he's observing a conversation happening that does not concern him. Uh, he, you know, they don't even acknowledge that he is who he is. Like, they think he's somebody else. So even if this did somehow involve him, like, I don't know. They, they, they think he is supposed to be here and he's not. He's not even supposed to be here. Uh, and so it's this weird kind of voyeuristic last few pages of the chapter where he's just like, I'm enamored with these Narnians. I'm interested in what they have to say, but, you know, I still need to get out of the city and you know I don't know because obviously we don't we, we don't have this situation where he can go with them because like what happens if the real prince Corin turns up like <gasps> that's like he can't stick around because he's pretending at this point by by virtue of not saying anything he's pretending to be somebody he's not mm -hmm. and you know who knows what'll happen when they find the real prince Corin. yep so uh yeah the plot of the chapter is weird that being said, I do think some good things happen. We have some good, uh, not allegory, but, you know, kind of metaphor drawn up between the appearance of, like, the city and, you know, this, you know, the people of the city and Rabidash and, you know, generally just besmirching all the people of Calermine, but it's done well, I guess. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so it's not all bad. Uh, we From do... a literary standpoint, it's a very good yeah. symbolic representation. Yeah, it is a Shasta-heavy chapter. Yep. Um, but yeah, good symbolism, bad structure. I'm going to say... Uh, let's, do, let's do, you know, two and three-quarter cups of, of sherbet. Okay. Around there. I don't want to I don't want to get it quite down to two and a half, but I, I, yeah. All right. Um, well, I, of the three smacks in the head that Shasta <laughs> took, I'd give it a carrot. It's the least, probably the least painful of the three and the, the, the least, um, demeaning of the three. So, uh -huh. there you go. That's what I choose to give rate this chapter. To, carrot to the head. Yep. Cool. Kristen, do you want to take us out here? Sure thing. Uh, Thank you so much for listening today. If you want to get involved in discussion or uh, send us some kind of summary or fan art of carrots being uh, thrown at children's head. Maybe um, Tumnus is a Sith Lord. Oh, Tumnus is a <laughs> Sith Lord. Um, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Chronically Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, do not drug your maid and... And don't forget to wipe your sword. Thanks. Bye. Say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> See ya.
usually better with these. Jeez, thanks. <laughs> okay, fine. We can do types of birds. Golden here. cups of iced sherbet. Okay, there we go. That's a good one. There needs to be an auditory <laughs> version of eye rolling. <laughs> it's called a sigh. There you go. He's not even supposed to be here. I mean, just in a structural way, this chapter goes... Sucks. <laughs> but yes, go ahead. <laughs> uh, hashtag justice for when. Uh, no, let's get that set. <laughs> that out. But let's uh, it was That was a Stranger Things reference. Okay, or justice for Brianna. <laughs> like, uh, have you been online recently? I, I have. Okay. That's just a reference to a, a show. Yeah. So well, it's also a reference to real life. And in the meantime, do not drug your maid, <laughs> and uh, don't lock yourself in any wardrobes. Bye. And, and don't forget to wipe your sword. I thought we were doing one for every. You know, no, I don't vote. want to do three <laughs> on the sign off. I'm changing to okay. just doing. And don't. Uh, until next time, don't drug your maid. See ya. And, and read the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe. Yeah, do that. You can still say, and don't forget to clean your sword. Please okay. just okay. say it. God.